So hey, just a couple little quick little funnies for you this morning. Just little statements, little thoughts. My doctor asked if anyone in my family suffered from mental illness. I said, no, we seem to enjoy it. (laughs) Camping. Camping is where you spend a small fortune to live like someone who's homeless. (laughs) Went to an antique show and people started bidding on me. I won't say I'm worn out, but I will let you know that I don't go near the curb on trash day. That's all I can tell you. (laughs) My spouse says I have two faults. I don't listen and that I can't remember the other one. (laughs) A young child asked a woman how old she was. She said, 39 and holding. The child thought for a moment and then asked, well, how, how old would you be if you let go? Just want to know that. No, you're holding on there. And lastly, two children went to their parents' bathroom. They noticed the scale in the corner. And one of the kids said to the other, whatever you do, I'm telling you, do not step on that thing right there. And the other kid said, well, why not? And the child said, because every time my mom does, she starts screaming at the top of her lungs. Don't go near it. Oh, my. Oh, listen, we're in a little series called Carpe Diem, and uh, Carpe Diem is a Latin word. It means seize the day. And we've been talking about that for the last several weeks, and just to give you a little backdrop, a little review, we talked week one about Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph had 50-20 vision, and he began to look at the end of his life and all that led up to it, and all the troubles he'd gone through, and realized it, and he made this statement in Genesis 50, verse 20, that what you meant to harm me, what you intended to do to harm me, God turned around for good. And how important it is to realize that all the stuff you've gone through, God can turn it around for good. Come somebody say amen to that right now. Amen. In week two, we talked about how Charles Spurgeon made this important statement. He said, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. And now all the adversities of our life, really, if we just kiss the wave, if we'll just embrace that and allow it to draw us even closer to Christ, what a transformation will take place in our life. And then in week three, we talked about successful people, and successful people do consistently what others do just occasionally, and how important it is to have consistency in our life, and that consistency determines our distance. And that goals that we have in our life need to be backed up with systems or we'll never accomplish them. We talked about our identity and how we need to know who we are in Christ because our identity shapes our actions. And then last week, if you were here, you remember we brought a little machete and we talked about cutting the rope and how Elijah Otis made a demonstration at the World's Fair about his elevator break that he invented and, and he showed everyone that it really works and he cut the rope, they cut the rope and he fell, free fell and, and, um, and showed them that uh, they can now build high rises as a result because of his invention. And we talked about how the important importance is of living our lives with no regrets, that we cannot live uh, lives where we don't take risks from time to time, and that the goal of life isn't to arrive safely at death. The goal of life is to live every moment we can with all we have unto the Lord, which brings us to the day, and we're going to talk about winding the clock. Uh, Here's the big idea this morning. There's nothing as wonderful as an opportunity. 
Can you turn to your neighbor and tell them that for me? There's nothing as wonderful as an opportunity. Come on, go help me preach a little bit. There's nothing as wonderful as an opportunity. Tony Campolo, a Christian professor at the University of Pennsylvania years ago, shared this story. He asked his students a question in class. He asked the question, young man, how long have you lived? He said to his particular student on the front row, how long have you lived? And the student gave his age. And he goes, no, no, no. I'm not asking how long your heart's been pumping. I want to know how long have you lived? Student was perplexed. Tony Campolo said, let me give you an example. He said, I'm a little bit older than you. And in 1944, (laughs) I was on a field trip. I was in the fourth grade and we took a trip to the Empire State Building. We were on top of the Empire State Building, got out of the elevator, went onto the observation deck. And when I looked out, because at that time the Empire State Building was the largest building in the world, and I saw the landscape of New York City from up above, he said it took my breath away. And for a moment, I lived a lifetime. In that moment, time stood still. And in that brief moment, I was fully alive. Now, he said to the student, with that understanding, how long have you lived? And the student said, well, maybe an hour, maybe a minute or two, but I can't say I really have lived. And that's the question I have for you this morning. Not how old are you, but how long have you really lived? How long have you really, really lived? Because time is measured in minutes, but life is measured in moments. And moments are measured by opportunities. I want to take us to Ephesians chapter 5. Meet me there this morning. It says this. It says, be very careful, verse 15 Be very careful how you live. I would say, and you would probably agree, there's a lot of people that are not very careful how they live today. Be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And here's the kicker, making the the most of every what? Opportunity, everybody say opportunity. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The King James Version says, and redeem the time. The the Message Bible would say to make the most of every chance you get because these are desperate times. I think many people live in the wrong time zone. Many people live in the past and they're paralyzed by their failures. Some people live in the future and they're paralyzed by fear. And then there's others that just live in the moment. But when they live in the moment, as we talked about in week one, they're only half present. According to studies, 47% of your time, basically people's time during the course of a day, they don't even, are not even conscious of what's going on. They're just going through motions. And so if you were even living in the moment, the odds are half of the time that you're living is just half alive. So most people now live paralyzed emotionally in the past or the future or in the very present, but yet we're all given the opportunity to live fully alive. 
We're all given this opportunity called time, which is the equalizer, isn't it? God puts us all on the same playing field. I don't have more time than you, and you don't have any more time than I. We wake up every morning, and we all have this same amount of time. The question is, what are we going to do with that time? Because the fact is, you don't find time, you don't, you don't have, we all say, I don't have time, I can't do that, I, can't, I don't have time, you've probably said it to yourself a million times, but here's the deal, you have to find the time to do what you feel God's put in your heart to do. If you want to run a marathon, you don't just have the time to train, you have to find the time. You want to have a good family, you don't have the time to spend with your kids, you gotta make the time. You gotta find the time. You don't have a good marriage, you need a good marriage. Well, guess what? You don't have time to spend with your spouse, you gotta find the time. If, you, if you're gonna do anything with God, you're gonna have to find the time to hang with him and to know his voice and to hear his heart. You, it, everything's about how you handle the moment, how you handle time. It's interesting to me that when you look at the Bible, all the miracles that Jesus d did in the New Testament and the Gospels were all life-giving, wonderful miracles, right? I mean, Jesus would heal the blind man, and man, such life, he would heal the lame man, and he'd jump up and walk again. He would heal people that were dead, and they'd come back to life. And, he would bring food to 5,000 people and, 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 and cut up, multiply. He, he was always bringing life. But there's two examples where he didn't do that. One was he cast out some demons and, and they all, the demons went into some, some pigs and they all died. So, but that really don't count. Those are pigs. We're talking about people. But there's another time as well, though, where he went to a fig tree and he looked at this tree, he was going to get something to eat, he was hungry, goes up to this fig tree, looks at this fig tree, and he's looking all around this fig tree, and he cannot find any figs. So the disciples are watching him, and Jesus curses the tree and says, you are bare from this point on, and walks off. They come by that tree the next day, walking by, and Peter looks and goes, whoa, look at that tree. It was all withered, it was all dead, dried up, just a piece of stick, and they recalled what Jesus had said. He had cursed the fig tree. What was the purpose of this whole story to begin with? The purpose of the story is to remind us that you are birthed to produce fruit. God created you in order to have an opportunity for him to do something marvelous through your life. And in many ways, we're all a fig tree, aren't we? And some of us have these big, fat figs. And some of us have a small fig. And some of you don't have no fig. You're just figless. <laughs> and God has said, man, it is time to produce. It is time for us not to be barren, to not, can I say it like this? It's, it is time not to waste time. It is the hour not to waste our energy. It is the hour to take advantage of Every opportunity, because the days are evil. Do you despise wasted time? I mean, do, do you really? I mean, do, some people, I, like, like, I ask them, what are you going to do when you get off work? Oh, I'm just going to go waste some time. I'm like, ah, <laughs> wrong answer. Don't say that. I'll go to my kids, what y'all do last night? Oh, nothing. I'm like, how do you do nothing? 
That doesn't even, were you breathing? Yes, well then you did something. But you, you can't just do nothing. And how do you go about redeeming the time? And how do you make the most of every opportunity? And how do you know when it is the right opportunity for you? Because, listen, the reality is opportunities are easy to miss. Opportunities can come and they can go and you go, whoa, was that an opportunity? Well, it was an opportunity, but you just missed the opportunity. Sometimes opportunities are invisible. Sometimes they're hard to see. Sometimes you need a revelation from God because, listen, here's how it works. Opportunities do not walk up to you and go, hello, I'm an opportunity. I've come to have tea with you. Let's sit down and talk about the future. I'm opportunity. I'll stay as long as you would like. No, opportunities just come and they go. And sometimes they just walk right past you and you go, whoa, whoa, what? That was an opportunity. I missed the opportunity. We have to understand how to take advantage of opportunities. But before we can take advantage of opportunities, we have to do this. We have to have a vision for our life. Because if you don't have a vision for your life, it doesn't matter whether you have an opportunity or not. It doesn't make any difference. If you're not going anywhere, it doesn't matter if you have gas or not. Have you ever met someone who lived in time but not in moments? Have you ever met someone who collected possessions but not experiences? Have you ever met someone who had opportunities but never took them? I wanna awaken for just a few moments inside of you this morning, I wanna awaken greatness. I want to shake off the slough and the slumber of your life, and I want you to begin to venture out and perhaps think a little bigger, perhaps even to allow yourself permission to believe that, yes, God can still use me even though I've done all the stuff that I've done in my life. I, I want you to entertain the thought that your past doesn't dictate your future. I want you to imagine with me that God can use you to still do great things for him. Can I get a witness this morning? Can somebody say, I believe? that. Because many people think of themselves as just small, insignificant, God can never use me. The Bible calls it the grasshopper mentality. When the spies go into the promised land to spy it out, they walk, they come back and they go, no, we can't take this land. We're, we're, we're nothing. We're grasshoppers. We're just like little, little small little insect that you can smash with their feet. Or we live with that Gideon mentality that we're the lowest of the least of the family, that God can never use me. We, we live with that Timothy mentality that I'm too young. God can never use me. We make all these claims how God can never use us so we don't even entertain the idea that God could perhaps do some great things in our life. Today, can we just awaken ourselves for a few moments and just grab a hold of the thought that maybe God can still do something great with my life? Yeah, well, I'm 80 years old. Well, don't, I don't mean don't say that around me. Because Moses was 80 when he just started his ministry. Colonel Sanders was 65 when he discovered fried chicken. Let me remind you what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3. He said, brethren, I count myself not to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind 
and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I want to awaken that reaching forth spirit that you have inside of you. If you go to the original language and just what was written in, you'll find that that word reaching out really means to stretch towards or to stretch out or reach out towards. It's the imagery perhaps of the, of the sprinter who's run the race as fast as he can. He sees the finish line, the tapes right in front of him. And, and what does he do with all the energy he has still left in him? He lunges forward, head over shoulders to get one more second knocked off of his time. This is what Paul's referring to. He's saying, I want you to stretch forth. I stretch forth. I'm asking you to stretch forth to those things which are before you. So how do I stretch forth in front of me? How do I do that? How do I stretch forth and become great? I'm glad you asked question, question because number one, here it is right here for your notes. You have to create a great purpose to live for. Why stretch for so, out for something that's not even great? Why stretch out for something that is not even a good purpose to begin with? I got to stretch out <clears throat> And here's something that you need to remember, that no one is ever born great, except my granddaughter. <laughs> she's, she's the only one. But other than that, the rest of mankind, no one's great. I wasn't born great, you weren't born great. We just come out of the womb, and we have the same opportunity and same abilities and same talents and same capabilities that everybody else has. No one is born great. You don't go to a nursery and look at all the children in the nursery and go, wow, now that's a loser, but that one, that's a great one right there. <laughs> it's not like going to pick out a puppy and going, oh, I can tell that one. That's a good, that's a good puppy there. That's a bad. No, this, we are all born on equal playing field. We, and we are all a result. Greatness is a result of the choices that you have made over a course of time. That's all greatness is. It's not your talent, but it's your choices. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't make the right choices, it doesn't matter. Great happens when I live for something, get this, bigger than me. That's when great starts to happen. As long as you're living for you, you're gonna be a, you're gonna be a nothing. Can I just put it like that? You're, you're just gonna be another person in this world. But when you start living for something bigger than you, when you start living for, for, for others, if you would, can I put it like that? Then life becomes uh, on track for greatness and lose the greatest of all, Jesus. He's our example. And what did Jesus do? He laid down his life for everybody else. There's not one time where you can look at Jesus and go, Jesus, Jesus says, you know what? Look, Peter, I'm enough of the, you know, I'm done with you. Just get out of my life. You know, 12 disciples, you know what? Y'all have bothered me long enough. I'm going to find another 12. I, no, I, I, you know, I forget you guys. I'm going to go fishing. You know, never do you see any record of Jesus going, it's all about me today. How many have come home from time to time and go, you know, I just need some me time? Well, it sounds good and everything, and if you can get that, maybe that would be a good thing. But reality is, really, we don't have me time. It's all others' time. You have to find a reason to become great, a purpose to live for. What a greater thing can it be than to lay down your life for one another? That's a great, a great thing to live for. Number two, 
to be great, I have to find great people to run with. I have to find great people. Can I introduce you to some great people to you today? Because you may not know anybody. Can you turn to the person behind you and go, hello, great person? Come on, hello. Just turn behind him. Hello, great person. <laughs> yeah. Now tap the person in front of you and go, hello, great person. Hello. Meet somebody great. I'm great. You're great. Because that is the truth. Because the local church, the church, the body of Christ are great people to run with. They're great people to run with. Oh, I know they have their flaws. I know the church has its flaws. It's got wrinkles. It's got flaws. And there's no perfect church. And if there is a perfect church, please don't attend because you'll mess it all up. <laughs> We're all in process. We're all working stuff out. But let me tell you something. You are the cream of the crop. And this is an interesting thought. That one day, as time continues to move forward, everything that you know at this moment probably won't even be around. Like, think about this. Apple won't probably be around. Some of you thought Motorola would be around for centuries. It's gone. Things, things like uh, Microsoft, it won't be around. It is possible even the United States of America may not be around. It could be possible in a couple hundred years from now or even less or longer that they will be reading about this, this democratic experiment that this country had several hundred years ago. It worked for a while and then it fell apart or whatever. It could be very, that could be a very real reality. But here's one thing that won't change. Can I say this? One thing that will last will be you. A born-again believer, the brother, the sister that loves Jesus and made him the Lord of your life, you're going to pass it off. We're going to live forever. Come on, somebody. We're passing time. In fact, there are 2.3 billion Christians in the world today. Christianity is the greatest belief system, and it's the truth as well, that there is in the world. Because every other belief system cannot transform itself onto another culture. That's why the Hindus are in this area and the Muslims are in this area. But you look at the Christians, they're in South America, Latin America, North America, Europe, China. Everywhere you go, you're going to find a Christian because it's the only belief system that transfers cultures. And there's 2.3 billion Christians all around the world. Guess what? You're a part of a beautiful body of Christ. That's bigger than China itself. That's bigger than India itself. That's bigger than all of Europe together. I'm telling you that there are so many Christians, brothers and sisters, and there's a revival and a move of God taking place in parts of the world that would blow your minds. In Asia, in, in South America, Latin America, people are coming to Christ by the droves. It's amazing what God is doing in the earth. These are the things that will never pass away. And here's my admonishment to you this morning. Don't run away from someone who is great. Don't make your best friends those who are not great. If you're going to make friends, single people, if you're going to make friends, find great people. In other words, say it like this. Find people in the youth group. Find people in the young adult group. Find people that are running after God. 
I made a commitment to the Lord years ago when I was a young man, single, and I said, God, I'm going to find a person to marry that's running after God as hard as I am. That was my, that was, I, we didn't have eHarmony back then or Christian websites. We didn't have none of that stuff. It was just, the, just running for Jesus and look over there and I see my future wife and she's running for Jesus as hard as I was. I'm like, hey, y'all want to get married? You want to get married? Yeah. It's fun. All right. Come on, let's run together. We run for Jesus together. Because why? Because great people are running after Jesus. Don't, don't think you're going to be a great person and you're running with people that are running after the world. Yeah. It don't happen like that. If you're going to be great and accomplish great purposes, it's going to be because you found some great people and you run with them. That's good preaching, Pastor. That is great preaching right there. And number three, you have to look for opportunities to use what God gave you. You have to look for opportunities to use what God gave you, Ephesians chapter five. Be very careful how you live. Not as the unwise, but making the most of every opportunity. I was in India and I had been over there for a couple weeks and doing some ministry over there and preaching in some churches and teaching in some schools. And I have to tell you the truth, honest truth, it was a very hard trip for me and very difficult in certain areas and physically and everything else. And when we finally got to Hyderabad where our plane was flying out from India, I was so excited because I don't do curry very well. And curry was on everything they had. I mean, everything had curry. Some of you are lovers of curry. I'm sorry for you. I pray for you. But I could, but everything, I mean, ice cream had curry. I don't know if the dad, but I, everything had curry on it. And so I remember my, the guy who was with me, he was a friend of mine, and, and he said, after three days, he goes, JP, I'm done eating. I said, what do you mean you're done eating? He said, I'm not eating for the rest of the trip. I said, you have to eat. He goes, no, you're going to eat my food for me. I said, come on, I can't do all that. He goes, I got enough uh, uh, protein bars, to, uh, I cut them up in thirds to last me for the rest of the trip. I said, you're being serious. He goes, I'm dead serious. He goes, I cannot do any more curry. I can't handle it. My body can't handle it. So I said, okay. So he, that's exactly what he did. He lived on protein bars and some fruits and nuts that he brought from home, and that's all he ate. And he would slide his food over onto my, to, and so I, I, I suffered for him and for Jesus. <laughs> ate his food. And so finally we got to Hyderabad at the airport and there was a kind of a bigger airport and he saw a Pizza Hut sign. And, and I had, all of a sudden, his luggage was gone. I mean, he was gone. I was walking, all of a sudden he's gone. I'm like, hi! And I look over and he's running to Pizza Hut. <laughs> and uh, so I went and I found something to eat and he already was back at his, he was already back at his table by the time I got back and he was sitting there like this. And his little box, I said, man, you're done already? He goes, mm-mm. I said, what's wrong? He goes, he said, look at that. They even, pizza, they even put curry on the pizza. 
I said, you need to go with it, brother. God's just dealing with you. He goes, I'm not eating anymore. And so we got on the plane, an international trip all the way across the ocean, right? We got on the plane, it's a big, huge 747. He's in the middle row, and he's sitting there, and they, the stewardess is going, uh, American or uh, Indian? American or Indian? American or Indian? And, and he goes, American. She goes, sorry, he took the last American. Here's the Indian. <laughs> Oh, we had a lot of fun together. But the point is, as we were flying out of Hyderabad, I was looking out the window. I'm looking out the window, and the Lord spoke to me. I think it was the only thing God spoke to me the whole trip. And the Lord said to me, I've given you a great opportunity. More opportunities than I have given those people. And I will hold you responsible for that. And that's what God told me, that's it. For the rest of the trip, I just examined my heart. I'm like, God, am I making the most of my opportunities? And am I missing some opportunities? Is there some things that I should be doing, oh God, that you put in front of me that no one else in the world could do because they don't have access to internet or computers or, 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 or things that I have access to? God, oh God, help me be a wise steward of the things that you've given me. I, I challenge you the same. Are you being a wise steward of the opportunities that God has given you? Or do you just kind of wander through life? Because this isn't a suggestion. This is a command. Paul, Paul's not saying, hey, I suggest that you make the most of every, no. He said, I'm telling you, make the most of every opportunity. And there are opportunities all around us. And greatness is learning to manage my opportunities. That's what greatness is. I've learned to manage the opportunities that God has given and laid in front of me. I've become a wise steward of the talents that he's given me. And I'm going to use them for his gift and his benefit. I was visiting a lady that I had rented a room from years ago, and she was a godly woman. And I was told that she was in a, a nursing home now. And so I went to visit her. And so she was way, way up there in years. And I sat down with her in the little day room. And she was smiling from ear to ear. Her name was Sister Ginny. And I, I said, Sister Ginny, so good. Oh, sweetheart, so good to see you. And she pinched my cheeks and she gave me a hug. And I reached over the wheelchair and I hugged her. She goes, oh, JP, so how are you doing good? She goes, JP, I just want you to know that I <coughs> love being here. And I looked around and I saw some things that was kind of discouraging, to be honest. And she goes, I love being here. I'm so thankful that God allowed me to come here. I said, Sister Jenny, I, I don't understand how. What do you mean by that? And she goes, oh, JP, there is so much work to do here for Jesus. I don't have enough time. I'm running out of time. But I want you to know, uh, this entire facility, and there were probably over 100 people there, she goes, I want you to know, I, there's only five that don't know Jesus yet. That's what she said. There's only five. I said, how do you know that? She goes, because I asked them all. 
But I'm working on the five. Then soon, they'll come to Jesus soon. She goes, I, I, do you know I do a Bible? They call me like the chaplain here at the, at the place. And, and, and I do a Bible study twice a week. And we have prayer every morning right here in this little day room. Oh, God is doing something marvelous in this place, honey. It is so beautiful. Aren't you glad that we, she said, aren't you glad, JP, that we have the opportunity to do things for God in the life that we have? I said, yes, yes, yes. I'm like, you know, doing a dance in the nursing home. This is a person that has learned to take advantage of every opportunity that's been given. And not curse and curse God because we're in a situation we don't like. We're in a tough situation. We're in a bind at this moment. No, to give God praise and give God thanks and say, yes, Father, thank you that you've given me an opportunity and I'm going to be wise and I'm going to make wise choices. I'm going to take advantage of every opportunity you've given me. That is what God's asking us to do. And then I'm going to give you six ways to make the most of every opportunity, but I'm going to give you one today. You'll have to come back Wednesday night if you want to hear the other five. I'm going to teach Wednesday night right here. If you want to figure out how to make the most of every opportunity, you can come back next Wednesday night, this Wednesday night. I'm going to have the worship team come as we get ready to close. Six ways to make the most of every opportunity. Number one, just to wet your whistle. You have to say no to good opportunities and say yes to great ones. Just because it's an opportunity doesn't mean it's the great opportunity, right? You have to learn how to say no to some opportunities. And here's the deal. You can't start something new unless you get rid of something old. You can't keep adding opportunities onto your plate over and over and over again because eventually if you keep putting cargo onto the ship, eventually that good ship is going to just sink. You can't keep putting irons in the fire and expect the fire to not go out. You can't just keep taking opportunities upon yourself and, and not have a filtration system that they go through and you go, you know what, I need, I need to think about that one. Because that's a good opportunity, but I'm not sure it's a great opportunity. There's a season in my life, being honest with you, where I was, because I love I loved the world, I love telling people about Jesus, I love traveling the world and telling people about Jesus. And I'd have people call me from Mexico, and hey, can you come down here and preach? All right, I'll come. And then I'd get back a couple weeks later, and if somebody from you know, another country, can you come over here? Yes, I'll be there, I'll go. And, and I, next, one day I was like coming back from a mission trip and I was so worn out. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you know that trip you just took? I didn't ask you to go on that. That's why you're so worn out. You're worn out because you're doing things that are good, but they're not great. And so I had to say, well, just because I'm being asked to go to this place and preach doesn't mean that's where I need to go, right? Just because I, there's an opportunity to move here, to take that job or do this, doesn't mean that's the right thing. It all needs to be filtered through Jesus. Because here's the reality. Some opportunities are temptations. That's all it is. Some, some opportunities are diversions. Some opportunities are detours to your real purpose that God has given you. And it, what he's want, the enemy wants is he wants you to get busy doing good things so he can keep you from doing great things. And that's why you need the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is your 
counselor, and he will give you a peace about those things that are great versus those things that are just good. So many people end up spending the rest of their life just doing good things, but yet they never did anything great. Great things are the opportunities that God has planned for you with his stamp on it. And he says, this is the great thing for you. This is the great opportunity for you. Other than that, all the other things are perhaps just good. You have to learn to take off before you put something else on. You don't go to bed every night and put your pajamas on and on top of your clothes and then wake up and then put more clothes on top of your pajamas and then get back in bed the next night and put more pajamas on top of those clothes. Yeah, there is a process of taking off before you put some on. Somebody say amen. You don't stay in the shower with 18 pairs of clothes on. You, you, you learn it in the natural, but it's the same thing in the spiritual. You gotta learn to take some, to take some things off as God's putting more on your plate. It's 1 Corinthians 7, 35. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord the best with as few distractions as possible. Amen. Amen. And I'll give you the second one just because I can. The second one. Evaluate every opportunity. Kind of goes along with number one. God, God had already told Moses, I'm giving you this land. He led, him to the, he led the people to the edge of the promise and said, this land is yours. And what did Moses do? Moses sends 12 spies out to evaluate the land. There is a process in living where you need to evaluate the things in front of you. Just because you like donuts doesn't mean you need to open up a donut shop. Just because you like eating cookies doesn't mean you need to open up and make a cookie shop, a cookie store. There are things that you have to say no to. You have to evaluate. You don't start a new business without doing all the research and marketing. 50% of all businesses will end within the first five years. And only 20% will last over 10 years. Why? Because many people have good ideas, but they're not great ideas. They're not the God idea. But when you get God on your team, opportunities come and you go, whoa, that's a good one, but this is the great one. This is the God one. And you begin to move and give all your energy to that and put all your attention to that, and it begins to bloom and blossom, and suddenly you got figs hanging on your limbs, and you're like walking around like the big old fig man. Here comes the fig man. Not the big man, the fig man. Because you've taken advantage of your opportunities. Can we all stand to our feet this morning? Amen. Practical living for practical people that want to be great in this world. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let me ask you a question. Do you know Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior? As our altar team comes to the front, let me ask the question, do you know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior? 
Have you made him the defining factor? Have you said to him, Lord, I will do whatever you ask me to do? Will you do that for him today? If you've not made that decision in a room this big, I know there are people that haven't. When I was eight years old, I made that decision. It was the greatest decision I've ever made in my life. I knew exactly what that meant. With heads bowed, eyes closed, you would say, Pastor JP, today I want to know Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I want to make him the Lord of my life. Would you just raise your hand? I just want to pray for you right where you're at. Say, that's me. I want to know Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Amen? Amen? Anybody else? Come on. I want to know Jesus and make him the Lord of my life. Raise your hand high. I want to know him. Make him the Lord of my life. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, in the very back up there. Yes, thank you. Anybody else? I want to know Jesus. I want him to be my Lord. Amen. Can we just say this prayer together? I'm going to lead you. Those that raise their hands, in fact, I'm going to lead all of us in a prayer. I call it a salvation prayer. It's your introduction to Jesus. It's the invitation. Would you pray this with me? Would you say it, Lord Jesus? I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. I make a mark in the sand that today my life is yours. Use it as you please. Allow me to do great things for you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Forgiving my sins. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Can we give God some praise and thanks for those that prayed that prayer this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for praying that prayer. In fact, those of you that prayed that prayer, there's a tent outside and we invite you to stop by that tent. We're going to give you a brand new Bible. We're going to give you some material that's going to help you along the way on this journey. We want to stay in touch with you. I want to say one more prayer for us this morning. As the band will close us out and after I pray and we'll dismiss. Can we be a people that say we will take advantage of every opportunity that God has given us? What would it look like in our city, in our community, in South Baldwin County, if we became that people that literally took advantage of every opportunity? When that waitress came by and you spent a good hour there at that table and then they left and you left and there was not one, there was not one word said about Jesus. Was that an opportunity that was lost? That person that you saw in the parking lot that you used to know, yeah, you just kept on walking about and doing your own thing. And was that an opportunity that you missed? That student in class that you're sitting next to and, and you know they're going through a hard time and difficult time in their life and, and yet you say nothing and you leave the class. Did you miss an opportunity? I, I would like for us to be able to say we're going to be a people that take advantage of every single opportunity God gives us. Imagine what our community would be like if we all took advantage of all these opportunities that are running by us every day. Imagine the people's lives would be changed. This room would not be able to hold all the people 
this altar would be, be filled with people that would be like, I, I, I need Jesus. Because you reached out with an opportunity and you became great in that moment. Can we just say a prayer over us this morning? Father God, we just pray that you will make us great. Not for us sake, our sake, but for your name's sake. That Lord, we will help us to lay down our life and that we will serve people in such a way that they will be captured by your love. They will be captured by your heart that you have for them. We pray, Lord God, that you will help us in the days and months and weeks to come, that we will walk out the purpose that you have for our life, that we will take advantage of every great opportunity. We'll say no to the good opportunities, and we will be the people, Lord God, that you have for us in this day and this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God some praise this morning? Come on, give him some praise. We love you, Lord.